Hey there, this is Pastor John Ware, lead pastor of Lifehouse Newport News, a church that exists to help all people experience life change through Christ. Thank you for joining us today on our podcast. We hope it inspires you and gives you perspective to see how God is moving in your life. Now let's get to today's episode. So be prepared for you know not what day your Lord is coming. What does all this mean? It means exactly what it says. Any minute, any second could be the last chance that anyone has to give himself to Jesus. Because when he returns, it will happen that fast. Millions of people will suddenly disappear, leave this earth to meet their Lord, and a shocked world will discover suddenly that what the Bible said was true. This is not a fairy tale. It will happen. So Christian, be alert. And friend, if you haven't given your life to Christ, do it. And do it now. It says in the Bible that he will come as a thief in the night. like this one been contemplated. Airports have stopped all flights. In New York alone, three large jets reportedly have crashed, one at takeoff, killing an estimated 56 persons. In California, meanwhile, traffic on all major freeways has come to virtually a standstill due to pileups where drivers disappeared. You've been left behind. Imagine being eight years old, like I was, and your mom comes to you, and she says, hey, I want you to watch these movies, and it's about the rapture. Imagine being an eight-year-old kid and seeing that and being inflamed with feelings of fear, like, I don't want to be left behind when the rapture comes. So I was eight years old, and... uh so basically, in this film here, later on, there is this part where this person try, tries, calling some, tries calling somebody else, but the person that they were calling got, got raptured while they were on the phone. So when they called, it was the busy signal. And so it was like, dun, 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 dun. the person was trying to call them. They got raptured. They didn't. And so... About a week later, I was at my friend's house hanging out, and I wanted to call my mom. Called my mom, got the busy signal. I immediately, my mom is raptured, and I'm here. And the and the person's house that I was at, they were they were Christians, but what my mom told me is that they were Baptists. We were Pentecostal, so we had the full gospel. They didn't. So I was freaking out, and 
this sweet mom was like, John, look, if she's gone, we're gone. We all love Jesus. And I looked right back at her and I said, no, but you don't understand. My mom's a real Christian. <laughs> the rapture. Revelation, we find ourselves today. The end of this series in the book of Revelation. We started off in Genesis. Over 13 weeks, we've ended up here. We're in the book of Revelation where it talks about the end times. It talks about the end of the world. And... Um, your worldview, what, whatever you believe, your, whether it's, it's you know, worldview, religious belief, whatever, you, you've got to think through what happens when you die and like how the world is going to actually end. Your, your worldview, religion, whatever, has to wrestle with and come to a conclusion on kind of like four different things. Origin, where'd you come from? How'd you get here? Meaning. Why are you here? What's, what's the whole purpose of it? Morality. What's right and what is wrong? And lastly, destiny. Where are you going? How is the world going to end? I mean, it's just like you, you've got to wrestle with and think through. Revelation, the Bible talks about the, the end of the world, talks about what happens when we die. Like all, all of these questions that many of us, um, that really, honestly, our world is really consumed with. Um, you see these movies talking about heaven, and you got eight-year-olds going to heaven and having these, these visions. I'm like, first of all, why would we ever trust a daggone eight-year-old with anything? Right? It's like, we want to trust an eight-year-old's vision of heaven? Like, are you sure? <laughs> right? But, you know, you, know, but, you know, but it's like we're intrigued with this whole thought of what happens when we die. How is the world gonna, going to end? And, we, I mean, we, we are curious about that, and it shows by how much money is dumped into and made off of this whole revelation, rapture, end of the world thing. Think about it. Tim LaHaye wrote the Left Behind book series. It sold 80 million copies. 80 million. And I'm not stuttering. Million. 80 million copies. A gentleman named Edgar Wisenhunt uh, wrote a book in 1988 called 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1988. Oops, saith God. Uh, <laughs> that book alone sold 4.5 million copies. As this guy, in his own words, said this. Edgar, good old Edgar, said, Only if the Bible is in error am I wrong. And I say that to every preacher in town. And, I'll, and if there were a king in this country and I could gamble with my life, I would stake my life on September 11th, 1988. Well, Jesus didn't come back in 1988. But dude sold 4.5 million bucks, stating that he could actually predict when Jesus was coming back. So then he said, okay, okay, it wasn't 88. It was 89. So then he wrote a book, 89 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1989. When that didn't work out, he then wrote another one in 93 and 94. I'm like, dude, are you like, who for real buying your book? Like, you are a liar. Jim Baker. Jim Baker 
Some of y'all know Jim, know Jim Baker. Jim Baker sells these rapture food kits. Just in case the rapture comes, a piece of bread could buy a bag of gold. Well, if the rapture comes back and you're in your fort somewhere and you're holding it down for Jesus, waiting for the rapture to come, you will have 14,000 servings available for you and your family for just the simple price of $800, right? It's like they're making money off of this whole thing of the rapture's coming, hurry up, get, a, get away, Jesus is coming back, you know? So the bottom line is this, and like I, I know we've laughed a whole lot, joked about it, but the truth is this, Revelation, um, the way that kind of like the... I was taught and the, I was told was is it was a book that just drives fear into you. It's gloom and doom. Jesus is coming back and he's, and he's just going to wreck shop and this is going to be this, this book that, you know, you better get your life right because Jesus could come back and if he comes back and he finds you cussing right this second he comes back, you're not going with him. If he finds you and you're in a theater, he ain't coming into that theater to get you. If you up in the club on that Friday, and he decides to come back on that Friday, Jesus ain't coming into the club and getting you out of that club and taking you to heaven with you, right? It was like, it was kind of this whole just, just, just like fear thing. But the bottom line is, is, is this. The book of Revelation is hard to understand. I said it. People, there are people who are smarter than I am, more, more degrees than Fahrenheit. They got doctorates on doctorates on doctorates on doctorates. They, they, they have studied Revelation intensely and come up, different theologians have come up with different conclusions about what different things mean in the book of Revelation. Why? Because there are some things in there that are just frankly hard to interpret, hard to understand, hard to nail down, hard to say definitively, this is when Jesus is coming back. This is when the tribulation is going to happen. This is when the beast is going to, this is who the beast is going to be. Some people thought it was going to be Hitler. Some, you know, some people think it's political leaders now. You know, it's like some people think like the Antichrist is here now coming. It's like we make all these assumptions about what we think is going to happen. And this is my thing. Why are we going to spend energy and time on things that really aren't clear when really we need to say, God, help me to obey what's clear in Scripture? You know, it's like I got enough time trying to obey what I already know. That's actually an incredible prayer for us. God, help me to obey what I already know. God, help me to obey in your word what I already know instead of spending energy and time trying, trying to figure out something that honestly at the end of the day, there will never be a 100% conclusion about what is actually going to happen. That's a prayer. You know what? We're going to actually pray that right now. Repeat this after me. Jesus, help me. Lord, help me to obey your word, what I already know. You might say, I don't know a lot about the Bible. You, you, prob you probably know you should love. God, fill me with love. Let me be your hands and feet. Let me show the world who you are. And what I'm concerned about is so, is so many people are trying to figure out things in God's word that honestly, you know Jesus, let me tell you what Jesus said. 
Matthew 24, I think. Matthew 24, yep. 36 through 42. Jesus said this, but about, the uh, but about that day. So talking about the day he's, he's going to be coming back. Jesus said this, but about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son. Jesus doesn't even know. But only the Father. So we're down here speculating, home dude, and the 88 reasons Jesus come back September 11, 1988. When Jesus said, no one knows. You don't know. I don't know. Jesus doesn't even know. So why are we trying so hard to figure out something and trying to interpret something that really isn't 100% clear when we don't even focus on and obey what the Bible is clear on. But Jesus does say that we can understand seasons, right? He says this, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of of man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with the hand mill. One will be taken out and the other left. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Jesus said, look, you don't know the time, but you will know the season. In the same way you see a pregnant woman that is, okay, like you know something's happening. You know there's growth happening. You know there's about to be a season of birthing. There's about to be a baby there, in the same way, we will be able to kind of say, okay, we can kind of see this, this stuff's going on, this stuff's going on. You know what? It's kind of that season where, do you know what? J Jesus, Jesus is, is probably getting ready. But here's the thing, church. I don't want us to get so focused on seeing Revelation as this book that just drives fear in us and, and, and just drives us to say, run to the hills! Get away from this hellhole earth! You know, we're just going to hold the fort down until Jesus comes back. You know, and that's what I've seen Christians do. Is they're like, Jesus, come and rescue us out of this hell, hell hole. Hurry, we hate being on this earth with all of these sinners. And I could just see Jesus saying, the reason why you're still on this earth, because you're called to be my hands and feet. You're called to show the world who I am. You're not called to run from this whole hell hole. You're called to run towards it. That's what the church is called to do. Get our hands dirty and showing this world the hands and feet and who Jesus is. We're not called to run from this hellhole earth. We're called to run towards it and be the hands and feet of Jesus. The book of Revelation, we need to look at it with, get this, humility. There are going to be some things that, honestly, we're just not going to understand, and that is okay. But so here's the thing. I don't have time to dive into every detail about this, this book because I'm trying to get us out on time today. The past two weeks, I've preached y'all's ears off. And so I'm trying to get us done early for the love of God, okay? I'm trying to help you guys out, okay? I know I've preached a lot the past two weeks. I think that two weeks ago, I preached for 64 minutes. Last week, I preached like 50 minutes. I'm going to try to keep this one short, all right? All right? Deal? If you listen quick, I'll talk quick. Got it? I don't, I don't have time to go through the whole book. But here's the thing. I don't want to focus on what, what is like, you know, gray area. I'm, I'm going to focus on in this book what we can draw that is 100% clear. The, the first thing that we can actually draw here from this book, Revelation shows us that Jesus is the center. Jesus is the center of Revelation. The whole purpose of Revelation 
and really, revelation means to unveil, to reveal. And revelation is simply an account and showing us more of who Jesus is. You know, it's not just this book here. The whole Bible, the whole purpose of the Bible points towards Jesus. There's 66 books in this book with one, with one main character hero story, and that is Jesus. The Old Testament points towards him. The New Testament points back towards him. Jesus is the center of the Bible. And if you miss the main thing, and the main thing is keeping Jesus the main thing, you miss the whole point of this book as a whole, and specifically the book of Revelation. It shows us not Jesus as a suffering servant. It shows us Jesus as a king, ruling and reigning. What we see in the Gospels, we see Jesus. Jesus came and, and Jesus preached and taught and kind of just like healed people and, and just kind of said, hey, look, I'm going to come and I'm going to die for your sins. And Jesus did an, an, an incredible job of that. But Jesus died in our place and for our sins rose up again. But then what we see is, is Jesus said, hey, hang on, I'm going to come back at a certain time, but I'm not going to come back just, just to die for sins no more. I'm going to come back ruling and reigning and mighty. Jesus comes back as a king. Revelation 1, 18 says this. Jesus says, I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. How do you view Jesus? Do you view Jesus as just a nice, cool little, little teacher who said pithy statements every now and then? Do you just see him as just kind of a wise teacher, somebody you can take good, you know, good life advice from, someone, yeah, do good to others. He said the golden rule. Yeah, he said love, love your enemies. Jesus is so much more than just a good teacher. Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And what we see here clearly in this book is that Jesus is, is going to come back at some point and sometime. It is corroborated in different other portions of scripture, but at some point the horn is going to blow and Jesus is going to come back as king and Lord and take those with him who are his. First Thessalonians 4, 16 through 17 says that for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Check, check this description now. Revelation 19, 11 through 16, talking about Jesus. It says this, I saw heaven. This is John here, the writer of, Revel uh, of Revelation. He said this, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. Side point, my mom loved this scripture here because she said, see, animals are going to be in heaven. Jesus is riding on a white horse. <laughs> my mom loved cats and dogs, so this was her life verse to say, boo-boo's going to be in heaven. I know she's going to be there. Pepper's going to be there because Jesus comes riding in on a white horse. Side note. And he said, I saw heaven open, and there before me was a white horse. His rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. 
Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has his name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Y'all, Jesus is going to come back one day, and we're not going to see him as suffering servant hanging on the cross. Jesus Jesus is going to come back now that he has trampled over death and is going to jack up Satan, and he's going to be king and Lord forever. <laughs> secondly, we can see this. Secondly, that I believe what we see clearly in, Re- in Revelation is that one, one day we're, we're all going to be judged. that one day we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of God and be judged. Now, here's the, here's the thing. I, I know in the past I have heard plenty of preachers say this, and they use it as kind of a scare tactic to get people to, to repent or wise up, or they, they, you know, you're going to stand before the judgment seat, and it's going to be like this huge film, and you're going to have all of your sins played before you and things like that and he's going to open up books and, and and tell you everything that you've done wrong and it's kind of been used as this fear tactic and I just you know I get it and I can see why preachers would say that but at the same time I see God's judgment as grace I see God's judgment as grace why not because you know because here's, here's, here's the thing because it's like we we are bad judges Okay, we we are bad because let's just be honest. Many of us try to play God and judge other and judge other people. We we are the person that is like you're going to hold the gavel on someone else's life and you're going to inflict pain on them, judgment on them, harm on them, and you're going to make them pay for what they did to you because they deserve it. And so you play the judge of your own little kingdom and you want to inflict pain and judgment on people for what they have done for you but here is the thing we don't have to judge others because ultimately God will judge them and his judgment is so much better than your judgment you are not called to judge why it's above your pay grade it's way above your pay grade whenever Jesus like everyone says you know Jesus said do not judge so okay I get it but here's the thing you make judgments all the time you, you, if you have a kid and you have some guy, hey, little boy, you want some candy? Uh, no, you're not going with, with him, right? You're crazy. You're weird. I'm making a judgment call that I'm not going to give my kid to you because I'm judging you. Know, I'm making a judgment call. So it's not that we're, called, that we're not called to make judgment calls. What that actually saying there, what Jesus was actually saying there is don't make eternal judgments. Don't make an eternal judgment about someone that you don't have the right authority or power to do. There's only one person that has that authority, and that is God. Why? Because you are a terrible judge. And some, and some people here, you, you, are, you have this gavel in your hand that there are people that, that you literally want to see pain inflicted on them. You, you want to see life hurt them. You want to see the worst that could possibly happen happen to them. Like that's what you're hoping for deep inside of your heart. And what that is, is actually doing to you is, is, is it's making your insides 
become hell. You're so consumed with it. You're checking them on Facebook, and you're checking them on these other things. I really hope that person fails. I just, when here's the thing, you don't have, if you have been wronged, I get it. It hurts. It's terrible. I am so sorry, but you have got to let it go and give it to God and know that in the end, the person that hurt you will stand before God one day and give an account for the hurt and pain and carnage that they have inflicted on your life. So you don't have to do any judging. Let God do what he is good at. And he will be the judge. And do you know what you can do? Take your hands off. Put the gavel down. Because here's the thing. You're going to stand before God one day too. I think we would be a little more loving merciful and gracious if we all realize and live in light of the fact that one day we're all going to stand before God and give an account. Revelation 20, 11 through 15 says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, the earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and the death in Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Second Corinthians 5.10 says this, For we must all, everyone say all, all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Hebrews 9.27-28 says, Just as people are destined to die once, and after that, to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for them. Do you, do you see throughout Scripture, for there, are, there was this whole concept, one day we're going to stand before God and give an account. I don't want this to bring fear on you. What this should absolutely th- strive us to make us do is live in light of eternity. Live in light of, e- live in light of eternity. If I, I just all believe if we lived in light of this fact, that one day we're going to give an account for what we do, that fact should affect the way we live directly right now. That that should be a factor of how is this going to affect eternity? How, how, when I stand before God, what am I going to say? There were, in Psalm chapter 90, verse 12, it says this prayer. Asaph prayed this. He said, teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. What an incredible prayer. Like, God, teach me how short life is so that I may walk in wisdom. Lord, teach me to realize how short and how how fleeting this life is so that I may walk in wisdom. Isn't it true whenever you think about this fact of one day we're all going to die and no one knows when, that it, it's, it's like YOLO. And I know some people look at that YOLO like I'm going to go out and live stupid. Like I'm going to go out and, yo, YOLO, I'm going to jump off a bridge. Like YOLO, I'm going to do something. No, YOLO, yeah, you only get one life. So let's live it with everything we have with gusto and power and authority and for God. Because here's the thing, we're all going to stand before him and give an account for what we were entrusted with, our time and talent and treasure. And it's so funny whenever people tell me, only God can judge me. Yeah, I agree. Only God can judge me. You know, people got that tatted on them and stuff like that. I'm like, yo, you right. And that should scare you. 
Only God can judge you. But here's the thing. I don't want the judgment to lead you to just live like, you know, you know, it's like where you, where you, where you just kind of like feel like God's just like over your shoulder, like his eyes are on you, blazing fire, and if you do anything, his eyes are going to blaze you, you know, stuff, stuff like that. No, what it should do is to give us a reverential fear, not a fear of death, but a fear of this is a holy God who has entrusted us with this life, who has entrusted us with one life, who has given us time, talent, and treasure to use for his glory and for our good. So God, help us to live our life. Teach us to number our days aright. Teach us the brevity of life so we can live a life of wisdom. That's a great prayer to pray, church. Show me how short my life is. Lastly, really believe what we see clearly in Revelation is this idea that God wins. You know, when you go to the end of this book, and, and like I said, I don't have time to, to dive into everything. That'd be like a four-hour sermon, and I know and no one's going to be here for four hours. But, you know, it's, it's kind of like when you look at the end of this book, when, when you kind of read, read through Revelation, you read about the bowls of wrath and the seven stars and all these things that are so, that have somewhat symbolism wrapped in them that people try to understand and people try to put meaning behind and, you know, who's, who is the beast and, and, and all that stuff. And if, if you're kind of more of that kind of, you know, you kind of love the uh, tribulation, the end times, that's, that's cool. But like I said earlier, just make sure you obey what's clear. And just don't spend so much time trying to figure out what isn't clear. But do you know what is really clear? When you get to the end of this book, let me tell you what happens. God wins. That we can look at the end of this. It's almost not even fair. Because isn't it just amazing that, that we can turn to the end of, end of, end of the, end of the, you know, end, and, and we can see God wins. That at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, when you're six feet under, when this world has probably nuked itself to death, when wars are going on, this craziness is going on, that at the end of it all, God is still going to be ruling and God is still going to be reigning. And at the end of it all, no matter how hard Satan tries to take what God created and, and try to take what God meant to be good and take it and jack it and mess it up, God will ultimately win. Can we just take a moment and thank God that he wins? Come on. What would change, what would change in your life today See, here's, here's what I, I want you to get. What would change in your life today if you lived with that mentality, God wins? How much more confidence would you walk in? How much more boldness would you walk in? How much more authority would you walk in knowing God wins? And if you're on God's team, if, if, if you're following God, do you know when he wins? Do you know what that means for you? You win. Paul, I... Romans 8, like if you need to just get a chapter and learn this. Romans chapter 8. Paul is, is, is here. He's trying to get this church to see who they are in Christ. Because that's one of the things that I think is holding the church back is us understanding and realizing who we are in Christ. Like the authority and power and, and love that God gives you as a follower of Christ, who you are and what you are entitled to. And this is Romans 8. Paul was trying to, 
trying to get this to them. And I wanted to read the whole chapter, but then I was like, reading a whole chapter in church, they'd probably fall asleep. So I'm going to sum it up for you. Romans 8, just a few points here. First off, he says, verse number one, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Basically saying, if you are condemning yourself, that's of the devil. There is no condemnation for those who have accepted Jesus Christ. If you are here today and you are condemning yourself for even what you did last night, even what you did last week, for, for what you did last year, marriage all jacked up and it was all your fault and you're just living with guilt and shame and you've got this, con, you got this condemning nature and feeling, that's from the devil. Those who are in Christ, there is no condemnation. Is there c- conviction? Yes. Conviction is a Holy Spirit thing. You want, conv- you want conviction. But condemnation, no why? Because condemnation always leads to guilt and shame. Conviction leads to repentance. He says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Then, then, then he says, hey, you know that Holy Spirit guy? Yeah. Well, the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you. What if you walked around knowing the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you as a follower of Christ? Then he says, hey, do you know you're a child of God? A child of God. You're a child of God. Then I love this. In Romans 8, 28, he says, I want to let you know all things work to your good as a follower of Christ. Did you know that as a follower of Christ, there's nothing that God won't use to make you better? Yes, even the things you did that were stupid, God will take those things and make it work for your good and for his glory if you let him. That God is so good, he'll take what wasn't good and take it and make it work for your good if you let him. He's trying to tell him this, like all things work to the good. And then I love his whole response. He kind of sums this whole thing up. He says, look, I'm trying to tell you, let me just give you my summary statement here. Romans 8.31, he says this. So what do you think? With God on our side like this, how can we lose? How, How can we lose? And my desire is to have a church, have a people. But what if everyone at Lifehouse Newport News had the mentality, I can't lose? Yep, I know last year sucked. I know someone that I loved dearly died. Yep, I'm battling cancer. Yep, marriage fell apart. Yep, I'm 100% broke. Yep, I've messed up terribly. But I can't lose. Why? You losing a few battles has nothing on the war. You'll lose a few battles following, following. You'll lose a few battles following Christ, trust me. Paul and I, we were talking the other day, we were talking about golf, the things we say when we play golf. I'm like, yeah, I still need to get saved on the golf course. <laughs> I lose some battles on the golf course things I say, Lord Jesus, help, 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 help me. Cleanse my lips with hyssop. And I was like, what the Bible says. Lord, help me. But you're going to lose some battles as a follower of Christ. But just because you lose a few battles in no way influences who wins the war. Do you know why? You win. Why? Because God wins. When it's all said and done, when it's all finished, when you've gone through this life, he wins. And because he wins, you win. My desire for you today is that you would see you cannot 
lose. Revelation 21, 1 through 4 tells us, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. This is John talking. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. You know how you just have this feeling inside of you like there's something that, like there's more? C.S. Lewis said, if I have a desire that this world cannot satisfy, it must mean that I am created for something else. And that's just what I feel like. I yearn for this day when there's no more pain, there's no more crying, there's no more death, there's no more cancer. But we live in a messed up world. And the crazy thing is Jesus predicted this, y'all. Did you know that? It's not like Jesus is up there like, oh my God, can't believe this craziness. I did not see this coming. Archangel Michael, get over here. You didn't tell me about this. No. God knows that there's going to be wars. There's going to be absolute craziness going on. But he can't lose. And because he can't lose, you can't. You cannot lose. And what, what I pray today is that you will be filled with an unshakable hope as an anchor for your soul. Because I sincerely believe today that there are some of you, your hope has gone. Like hope is simply looking to the future in a positive light and, and seeing promise and seeing what could happen. But I believe there's so many people here, you're looking to the future and all you feel and see is dread. And God today wants to restore your hope. Why? You can't lose. Why? Because he wins. And if you're on his team, you win. And I know what you see is here is fuzzy. And what you see is here is this battles being lost and lost and lost. But my prayer is, is, is that you would see a little bit beyond just your what's going on here. And you would see beyond here. And you would know, yeah, at the end of the day, Jesus wins. And you win. Do you need hope today? Jesus said that he is the living hope. And what we see clearly in this book Jesus is the center. Yeah, we're going to be judged one day. But ultimately, Jesus wins. Let's pray for you. Thank you again for joining us on the Lifehouse Newport News podcast. If you're ever in the Hampton Roads area, we'd love for you to join us at one of our live worship experiences at 9 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. at the Regal Kiln Creek Movie Theaters. Until then feel free to check us out at www.theaterchurchnn.com or on any social media platform. Thank you so much and God bless.